You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Darius Mirshazadeh, core value evangelist and best-selling author of The Core Value Equation. Darius was ranked number nine in Glassdoor's top-ranked CEOs in America and is an Inc. 5000 CEO, ranking number 40 in the entire country. He's also the host of the Top 100 podcast, The Greatness Machine, where he interviews some of the most interesting and accomplished people who are living their passions to create greatness in the world. In this episode, Ron and Darius discuss why every company should care about discovering and designing their core values, how to bring core values to life, and what are the most typical roadblocks on that journey, and how to measure if your organization is living the core values and how they influence the overall business results. Welcome to another episode of Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and I'm very excited to have with us today, Mr. Darius Mirshazideh. Boom. You nailed it. Who, who am I? Hey, who am I? <laughs> you can read, Ron. Yes. Well, just so you know, I wrote my own version of that. It's not actually your name. <laughs> oh, I, I always, I spell it for people like this. I go M-E-R-S-H-A-W-Z-A-D-A-Y. Mir Shazadeh. I love it. Darius, thanks for coming on. I uh, We met through uh, Tucker Max. You're a scribe author. And, and actually, he mentioned you as his favorite scribe author. And uh, after our podcast, he said, you need to you need to talk to Darius and have him on. So we're excited to have you, man. Where, where, where are you out of today? I, I'm, I'm where Tucker is. I'm, a, I'm an Austinite, Austin, Texas. Oh, I love Austin. It's my favorite city. Keep the place weird, right? Oh, God, I probably doubled the weirdness the day I got here. My, my nickname amongst a bunch of my buddies is Team Weird. Ooh, I like it. You got well, own it. Right city. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, and I came from the Bay Area, which is just as weird. Yeah. So, 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 Darius, we've got, you know, this is the Scaling Culture podcast, but you have a different history. You came from the money business. Give us a quick oversight of your history and then we'll jump into the culture side. Yeah. You know, I spent the, my entire adulthood, I got in the mortgage space when I was 17 as an after-school job as a telemarketer. And then I worked my way up from literally that I would consider at the bottom of the industry. I, I worked my way up from the bottom of the industry to pretty much the top of the industry. It became um, the, the 30th largest lender in the United States. Uh, that company- Commercial or retail? It's all residential. That, that company is called The Money Source. It manages a hundred billion dollars worth of mortgages. And- um, yeah, built that with my partners from pretty much the ground up. Um, but yeah, it, it you know uh, what what that is is as I just really was in the mortgage. So we did everything from if you name it. If there's a, a part of mortgage and residential mortgage, I literally had my hands in every part of it from retail, wholesale. There's I'm going to name stuff your your your, your uh, listeners have no idea what that is. Correspondent, which is when your mortgage gets sold. We bought those mortgages uh, to servicing mortgages. And so when, you know, reverse mortgages for seniors, but servicing was where I landed. And that's probably the most sophisticated side of the business. So I was, I was a, a, you know, I was a mortgage hack. Um, And I really spent my life. uh, That was one part of it. And I would say I'm an inch deep in my wide, but I will tell you the, the finance part was really what I was less interested in. For me, I was the scale guy. I was, how do you scale the business? And I tell, I would tell my staff, Hey, I, I did this onboarding when we would get our, for the first 500 employees we had. And I said, I don't care about mortgages. I just don't. It's, it's a widget. Uh, the widget could be hairbrushes. It could right. be, it, it doesn't matter. It, like for me, I, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, 
the same holds true for every business. It's people, process, cash flow, strategy, execution, right? And, and and that all comes together to you either get shit done or you don't. And for me, it was, you know, are we doing this all for a reason to create an impact? And for me, I got really obsessed around culture. Excuse, well, not even culture. I did a culture initially. I got obsessed around scale. And 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 that's how you know, we were talking earlier. That's how I, I got into all this stuff was I got introduced to Vern Harnish and Birthing Giants. And that was the first domino that led to this obsession that I have now. Well, yeah, what was your, what was your, you know, what was your culture aha moment? You know, we all get into business, you know, and I would argue most of us didn't operate or have the same belief system we do today when it comes to culture. Did you have a pivot or did you start from day one? Did you go from command and control to like, this isn't working? What was your aha moment of, I need to build culture? I didn't really have words for what, you know, for what, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, I was, I'm working with a, 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 a coach right now uh, by the name of Jeff Spencer. I don't know if you know him. They call him the corner man. He was Tiger Woods coach. So he's my coach. Oh, wow. And he, and he was Lance Armstrong's coach on the Tour de France for seven years. And, and he and I were talking about this the other day. And I said, I'm half artist, half CEO. And, and so the artist side of me didn't have, didn't, I, I'm not a guy that's going to go read a bunch of books and then like go and implement because I'm not an integrator. And so I'm more of a creative and for me, there's a couple of things that I, that I know. And when I got into business, I knew two things. I wanted to build a good business. I want to build a big business and I wanted to make it a business people loved. And so, which I guess is three things, but, um, um, and, and, and so like most businesses, it started off that way because it was small and it was me in a room grinding on the phones and selling mortgages. And I had a staff and I'm rolling every day and I'm, you know, rubbing the DNA all over everybody. And it's like this awesome business. And, you know, like when you're doing that, doing that well, business starts to grow. So me and my assistant turned into two employees, turned into three employees, turned into five employees. And then one wall went up and then right away, I noticed a difference. I was like, why is that? When why one is that? wall went up, you notice a difference. The first wall went up and my assistant who became the first manager who was just different than I was. She just didn't have the same perfect, you know, we weren't perfectly aligned and that's okay. But I, and I hadn't done nothing to define what alignment was in the business. Cause I didn't know what that even meant at the time. Um, and, but I noticed something and then that those two offices turned into four offices. And I noticed something then when I walked into each one of those offices felt different. Those four offices turned into eight offices and I walked into the eight offices and it felt different. And then the real fun began. My company started blowing up, like in a bad way. Uh, fires started appearing everywhere. And then I nicknamed myself the firefighter. And I remember I was at year two of birthing a giants on the phone in between sessions, putting out fires. And I had about 60 employees at the time. Now this is in two years, I grew to 60 employees. And I was 26. I didn't even know what I was doing. Right. And so I was learning, I was drinking from a fire hose, but I didn't know what I was doing. And, and then those 60 employees went to 100 employees within a year and and then it was like atomic bombs were blown up so you hadn't you at this point you still had not had like i need to build culture it was just like oh my god what's happening right yeah like like you know maslow's hierarchy of needs i was in survival mode like success right. like oh i need to optimize my culture was not part of my equation i was like how, I, I i need to not have my company implode right and so it wasn't a this aha moment around culture the aha moment for me came at year three of birthing a giants and at that point, I was uh, God gave me a gift. He had this thing called the subprime implosion. When what I didn't tell you is I was a subprime mortgage lender. 
And so in August of 07, I had 150 employees in 20,000 square feet of office space and the mortgage market froze, like froze, froze. And so what that means to a normal human being is that your buyers of your product went from 10 to one, 90% of the market went away overnight. So, and I had, and, and it's, it'd be like having your shelves filled with product and 90% of them don't get bought overnight. And so I went and I downsized because I was going to go bankrupt in like a matter of like 60 days, 90 days. And I downsized from 150 employees to 10 employees in less than 60 days in my 20,000 square foot office. So, I mean, obviously, look, that's a chaotic time, but did you have this moment of reflection? Okay, I built it up. I'm probably at some point, you know, there had to be some voice in your head that said, this will turn around eventually. Uh, this will, you know, we'll, we'll rebuild, but I want to rebuild differently. Well, what happened was, so the pressure got taken off, right? So I wasn't at that point breaking anymore, but I was small and broken. And, and so I got a reset, right? God pressed the reset button for me. So fast forward to year three of Birthing of Giants, and this was the aha moment that changed my life. Um, two things happened, actually. Before we broke, I walked into the office one day, and I talk about this in my book, The Core Value Equation, and I went, and this is when we were still a bit larger, and I walked up to our compliance desk, and there was a guy named Brian sitting there. And I walked up to Brian, and I said, hey, what's going on with the Smith file? And he like barely looks up at me, I'm the CEO of the company, and he goes, I don't know, man, not my job. <laughs> did you, did, did, Darius, did the nightclub bouncer and you want to come back and put him in maybe a yeah. chokehold headlock? Uh, yeah. I said, well, Brian, whose fucking job is it any, then? Is it mine? And I walked away pissed. And then I sat in my office and I had this beautiful office with glass and metal and all this stuff. And I sat down in my chair, the same chair I'm in right now. And I said, I hate this fucking company. And it's mm -hmm. all my fault. I took full ownership of it, right? 100%. And so that was the first thing that happened is I realized I hated the company. Um, now, like I said, God- you owned 100% of probably. And I owned 100% of it because the leadership starts from the top. Yep. And, and, and the leader with the, with the, comp with the company, comp go, or with the leader goes the company, right? As we know. So I did, I, I, one thing I knew is I, was, I, was, I, I feel like I've always had this leadership quality in me where I, I own my leadership role. And I've always been the guy that raises his hand first. And was you had self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, I have high, high self-awareness and, and pretty high EQ. So for me, I owned it right away. Um, and then the company imploded. So I, went out, I started fixing it then. I started really getting, I started really implementing and scaling up. And, 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 but, but it was, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to finish what I started. The second thing that happened that was the, the real pivot point in my life from understanding how to change the business was... I came back to year three of birthing giants and, and I, I just wasn't, it, you know, the, like, I, I, I don't know what it was, but, but the business obviously wasn't doing well at that point. And I just had this really crazy three years, but by the way, I didn't mention this. That business was number 40 in the Inc 500. This was like an wow. insane growth, 2,500% revenue growth in three years. Right now I jokingly say when I went to the Inc 500 that year, which was September of 07, this is a month after the markets froze. I was the 40th fastest shrinking company in the United States that day, but, but I, I wore my both tux. Sides. <laughs> What's that? You did both sides of it. You grew fast and got out fast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got gutted. <laughs> um, but um, I can laugh about it now. The, 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 it's just an old scar, but um, it didn't feel that way then. And so I went to year three of birthing of giants and I, 
we've graduated and the last day of graduation, there was a guy, two guys by the name of Ken Sim and John DeHart. They run a company by the name of Nurse Next Door, which many scaling up readers will know what that is because they're a case study in scaling up and they were graduates of the class. And they did a workshop with myself and Andy Bailey and John Ratliff and, and the, uh, just that room was filled with crazy people. 57 of the most intense, amazing entrepreneurs I knew. And this, this moment changed my life. And they said, everyone, please stand up if your company has core values. Mind you, we just graduated from a three-year program that taught us we need to have core values in our business. And they said, please stand up if your company has core values. So I stand up, 59 other people stand up. And they say, please stay standing if you say your core values off the top of your head. Half the room sat down. And I was one of them. And it was a gut punch, Ron. I was right. like, what the hell? They have the room sat down. So it gets way, way worse. That, then I, now I'm sitting down and I'm like disgusted with myself, but like intrigued, right? Like I have popcorn right. on one hand and I'm like pissed off mm -hmm. on the other. Mm -hmm. and, and then and he goes, please stay standing if your employees know, their, know your core values you could say off the top of their head. Half of the remaining half sat down. And then they went in for the kill. John was standing. I, I'm going to assume John was still standing. Yeah, John and Ken were still standing. Mm -hmm. And they go, and John goes, please stay standing if your customers know your core values. Whole room sitting down except John and Ken. Right. And so that moment was a pivotal moment in my life. It changed my life. Uh, that night we went out. I was, you know, Cameron Harold and all these guys. And we went out drinking because we graduated in downtown Boston. Next morning, I'm in Cambridge by myself, hungover. And I, and, and I couldn't shake it. I just okay. couldn't shake what just I just couldn't in your head. Yeah, I couldn't shake what happened. And I bust out a piece of paper and I pull out my iPhone. This is June of 08 and iPhones were relatively new. I pull out my iPhone and I look up. I said, why the hell were those the only two guys standing? So I pull up my iPhone. I look up their core values. I look them up on their website. I knew their core values would be on there. And I pull up their core values and they had four core values. They were simple and they kind of were in the tone of what these guys stood for. And I rewrote my core values. Now at the time, I had six core values, 76 words. They were, you know, I, I, to this day, I show them as an example. I don't remember what they are. They're boring. They were, you know, I tried hard. So something about A players and accountability. I don't know. All that type of stuff. And, and I just rewrote. I said, well, what are the four things we stand for? Like, what, what really do we stand for? By the way, Ron, do you know what the textbook definition of core values is? Tell us. Core values, Webster's Dictionary says, the fundamental beliefs of a person or organization. So I'll take it one step further. Do you know what the word fundamental means? Like uh, foundation. It's yeah, like, it's, it's like the most important. Right. The most important beliefs of a person or an organization. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I was in that room and half the room sat down and then the other half of the half and then the entire room sat down regarding the fundamental beliefs of the organization. By the way, the fundamental beliefs that they fucking designed and brought out themselves. Right. Like, blue, I, I, it, I couldn't shake it. And so I said, well, what, do I, what, what do we stand for? And I'm sitting there mad and hungover, <laughs> like doing this work. And in half an hour, I rewrote the core values. I said, we, work, we stand for four things. Working hard, karma, because I just blew up the whole world economy with subprime loans. Um, innovation. And last but not least, uh, excellence. And you know, and you know what? The, but I said I can't just make it those four things because it's got to be in the tone of the organization. And I and so I I came up with, with with a few words. I said, "Do work, live zen, break the box, wow everyone." Nine words: Do work, live zen, break the box, wow everyone. And that was the first step towards me really building a culture that believed in the fundamental beliefs of the organization.
And was and 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 Darius, was there still ten left? And it was now I'm going to build a foundation to build out again. How many were left? How many staff left at the time? Yeah, there was like probably at that point it was like between ten and twenty. I, I can't mm-hmm. remember. It was like because a lot of them were commission only. Yeah. Um, and this was June of '08. And what ended up happening was I pivoted, and I ended up having to shut the company down because we got we got pummeled with lawsuits because of being a, but yeah. if you're a subprime, you didn't, you, when people said, what do you do for a living then? I would not say the word mortgage. I'm like, Oh, real estate finance. Because you said the word mortgage. It was like saying you were like a parking a ticket enforcement. <laughs> oh, I, I wish, I wish it was like, it was way worse. It was right. like, you were like told, I, I, I don't even want to say what it was. It was like saying you're a criminal. So, right. so just let, let me go back to this for a sec, because we just had a, a, a podcast guest on who talked about this theory, which I thought was very interesting. And they said, when you go down the path of creating values, you should actually stop first and take the temperature of what do you, what, what is, what is the current culture look like? And because there might be some values you want to carry forward and some to leave behind. I didn't do that. I thought that was interesting. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I talked to I talked to Vern about this specifically, actually. So Vern Harnish and I had a conversation about this right before the book launched. And 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 he gave me some great feedback because I realized I had done I had done it a little differently, but then than I think most people need to do it because I built it from the, the beginning. But I think that he said something that stood out to me, which is core values of the personality of the organization. And your organization is an organism. And so you can and, and Vern said to me, look, man, you can be rich or you can be king. And if you want to be, you know, king, then you, you make them whatever you want them to be as a CEO. But if you want to be rich, you got to take stock of the fact that this, that your organization has personality. The personality may not be exactly what the values of the CEO are, but they probably, you know, there's, they shouldn't be in conflict with them. And really, you know, as they talk about in scaling up is it's a discovery process, right? But, you know, I think that that's, I think he nailed that. And he took, you know, obviously that comes from Collins and those guys. Is, well, it's interesting, a- Darius, I was just going to say, I've got a, a, a mentor and friend of mine, John Risley, a guy from here. And he uh, has this beautiful quote that he says, none of us will build great companies. We'll lead incredible people who will build great companies. I completely agree. If you want to build a real big, impactful company, it's not going to happen with one person. And it's mm-hmm. got to be, how do you create something that's larger than yourself that people resonate towards and they want to make it greater than themselves, right? And so, well, I, I believe core values, and what I and, and what I where I landed on this was that core values are the can become the language of the organization when they're designed properly to do that. And so, where I think the the disconnect at Birthing a Giants and where I've landed on this over over a decade now, but where I I got there experimentally. You know, I, I did that that morning in Cambridge and that was the first domino. And then I, and then I had five years and this is Ron, you'll love this. Um, you asked what happened to the business. And the answer was I pivoted for five years and made no money um, mm-hmm. like zero. Like I went to work and cut checks and lived off savings and it was super depressing. Um, and then, and then I ended up hitting, you know, like you can't do that forever. Right. So what ended up happening was I ended up hitting a win and I, I ended up building my next business, which is the one I just exited. And, and at that point I had really figured out how do you do a few things? Number one was I figured out that you have to discover the core values. That was obvious. And and there's nothing new there. That's a well-worn path. You could do mission to Mars. You can do all these different things, right? Number two, I figured out, this is where I think my big, big aha moment was, was this is a design process. Mm -hmm. You have to design them to be scalable, sticky, and viral in the organization. And the last one you said, scalable, sticky, and viral. 
You want them to go viral in the organization. Right. Great. Right. And so my book is essentially a book. It's a design and implementation book. It's a framework for how do you do this? And so they had, I, I had got there intuitively. There was no, like, I didn't, I wasn't like some nerd that went and studied design. I just, I'm kind of a designer and artist by nature. And, and I got there intuitively, which was like, well, first like you got to make them easy to remember. And then they got to be in the tone of the organization. They got to be authentic. So discover design and that design, we really, de- des- I have a really specific process on how you do that. If you really want to get it right. Cause if they're not just designed well, think of like, why, why did the iPhone become what it became. It's design. We know that, right? We know that there's a reason why the iPhone is so viral and sticky. It's designed where my two-year-old can pick it up and oh, turn it on, right? It's designed for high utility value. I have a question for you. And I, and I ask everyone this, how many pictures do you think people took in the year 2008 in the whole world? Oh my God. I'm not going to, I have the whole world, a billion. I don't know. 83 billion is the number. Okay. I'm just off you know, 83. Do you know what the, I, I, I just looked, I had to look it up at one, at one point. <laughs> Do you know how many pictures people are estimated to have taken in 2020? I'm going to get this right. 2020, I'm going to say 160 trillion. No, it's, 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 it's 1.3 trillion. Now I went, I went the other way now. <laughs> but the point is, is uh, did the world suddenly become a bunch of, uh, did they suddenly all pick up the hobby of photography? The answer is no. Like what? We're not all suddenly photographers. We have a tool that is a high utility value around photography that's in our pocket all day long. But well, utility- I'm wondering for fun how many of those were selfies and how much we became main, <laughs> right? Right, but the point is, is why do we suddenly take way more pictures today? And the, the answer is, is because it's easy to. And yeah. so I did the same thing with core values. You've got to make it easy for your team. Discover, design. Then I built a rollout with, with a really uh, fr- good friend of mine. You got to, if it's going to become the language of the organization, you got to immerse people in the language of that organization. Yeah. How do we do that? Well, I, there's, there's a process. And what I tell people is it's really simple. And I assume, people, assume this is in your book. Core chapter, yeah. Chapter six in the book. And, 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 and but I'll, I'll make it simple for you. Most organizations, this is what they do. They say, Hey, employee team member, this is all about me. Come learn about me. Hey, this is what we care about. Me, 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 me. Or what they, I care about. Yeah. And the employee goes, another motherfucking job where all they care about themselves. And I figured out something that's just as a secret that I use in life. It's, it's all about the give take. I go, forget about the company. Here's all about you. I'm going to teach you your strengths and let's learn about your values. And oh, by the way, here's my values. Let's see how they connect. So the rollout process does that. It's the give take. We teach them about themselves and then we connect the values. Now, Darius, you know, look, we talk about this a lot being very divisive in some cases, you know, that, that, that sometimes culture is, is like politics. It's like religion, right? And yeah. so what do you do in this case where we are rolling out these values and, and, and it's my company and, and you're disconnected. You just don't believe in some of these things. You know, does a book talk about how you deal with that? Oh, I love that. That's my favorite part. That's when they leave. Right. Yeah, that's my favorite part. So, so the core values do four things when they're done well. They create the ultimate decision-making engine where I can make any decision in the organization. When I read the values, they tell me what I need to do, yes or no. It's an easy yes or no. That's hard to do. Uh, number two is it creates a magnet for talent and it detracts the wrong people away from the organization. So I want that to happen. I want right. the raving fans to show up and I want the people that, that say, fuck Darius to, to leave. I want them out. 
But, but you know, you do, but I will say that this, and we've seen a lot of entrepreneurs put their tail between their legs and head back the other way. They don't have the courage. This is a moment of, are you going down the path or do I stop because, oh, well, Darius has worked here for 10 years and, and you're a nice guy, but am I all in or am I not? And that's a tough moment for some, right? Because yeah. today I understand what you're saying, right? Yeah. No, hey, nobody said this stuff's easy, but I yeah. will tell you this. I hope I compete against those people. Because yeah, yeah. I think, I'm going to tell you this, Ron, I am 100% convinced, and there's no one that's going to change my mind on this, that three things are happening right now that are a fact that are going to completely change the landscape of business in the next 10 years. You want to know what they are? Give them to me. Number Don't one. Don't ask me these mathematical questions anymore. Number one. Number one. Technology is almost fully commoditized, and the differentiating value prop between one company and another through technology will be minimal at best. Why? Mm -hmm. Moore's law, technology is cheaper. We have all the same access. I can't beat you just based off my tech. That all, It's very rare, right? Yep. So fully commoditized. When that happens, that causes price to become more commoditized. So I can't beat you on price as much. It's hard. You know, I, it's, I'm either taken out of my own pocket to the point of putting yep. myself out of business. So price and technology are commoditized. So what is the differentiating value prop then? And my answer is easy people. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. That's going to be the only differentiating value prop is who, who can get the best talent? Who's got the best on? team? Who's got the best team? Who's got them aligned the best? Who's got them executing the strategy the best, right? And so my belief is, is that values, mission, and vision-driven organizations are going to crush everyone that's not that in the next 10 years. It's already happening, and I think it's going to get more exacerbated. And, and Darius, you said uh, previously that in the beginning, you didn't know what alignment was. What does it mean to you now? It's what I just said. It's that I believe that there's a pyramid of alignment. And, and we talk about this a lot when we look at like a scaling up methodology or you can look at traction or K OKRs or all these different things. But I think it comes down to this. The fundamental, the bottom base of this pyramid of alignment is around these cultural assets, mission, vision, values. Now, what most people do is they don't understand what, how those work. The reason for it is because we're just told in our MBA programs to go check those boxes. So what ends up happening is we, we, we hire a consultant, we build our mission, vision, and values. We should put them on a sheet of paper. I call those words on the wall. And then we go back to work as business as usual. They don't operationalize them. We have not made them come to life. I believe three things. Vision is where you're trying to get to. And I'm not, and I'm not this is other people's tech. I'm just telling you what I think about it. Yep. So what's the BHAG? That's where I'm trying to get to. I want to, I want to aspire people to be a part of something greater themselves so we could create this result purpose, my mission is how I'm going to get there. That's, that's why I'm, excuse me, that's why I'm doing it, right? Why do I want to create, in my business, our, our BHAG was to create 1 million, excuse me, it's to create my old business that I just exited was, was to create 1 million happy homeowners in the next 10 years. Why do we do it? Because our core purpose was to grow happiness. How do we do it is through our values. So mission and vision are destinations your values are the, are the how. That's, the, that's the, the behavior. It's the fundamental beliefs of an organization. That's the behavior, right? And so what most people do is, and the way I believe it and what my book promotes is you need to make that the language of the organization. I need everyone speaking Spanish. But I, what happens is I go, hey, everybody, show up. We're going to speak Spanish. And then we all start speaking English. Right. And it's like, no, no. So you got to teach them the language. I got to have some conversations around it. We got to talk the language. We got to practice it consistently. I mean, I took, I, I, I have this funny story. When I was a freshman in college, I took a Japanese class, which is not a smart thing to do. Um, and, and 
Ron, do you know how many days a week that that class met? One. Five days a week. Why? Because you got to practice every day. Because why? You got to practice every right, day, right. or else you don't learn the language, right? So, but in organizations, what we do is we say, "Here's our values," and then we go back to work and we yeah. ignore them. Yeah, right. On the wall so, and it's over. so when we get those things right, what ends up happening is they fill the gaps on strategy and execution. Strategy is is hey, this is how we're going to beat the competition. Execution is the work to make that strategy happen, right? But the language of accountability is your values, and when you do it well, what's up happening is your mission comes to life and you hit your vision. So let's talk about that, Darius. What's some of the best things that you talk about or have seen on how to execute and what are the biggest fails? Well, I I think what ends up happening is most people focus on the things that they can get their head around. Most operators of businesses are these strategy people or they're execution people, right? And Mm -hmm. they focus on the thing that they like to do best, either thinking about the business and or doing what, what, getting getting GSD, getting shit done, right? Um, What I think where I think the gap there is that does not necessarily motivate people. Like your team doesn't care about you getting rich. They just don't. It's a, like, I, I, I mean, I wonder why, right? Like yep. nobody, like your mama doesn't care if you get rich. Only you care if you get rich. Only ca- you care if you create that impact. Until you give people something to be a part of, you have to give them that thing that you point at and you say, hey, do you want to come follow me to that? And, and so what I believe is, is that when we have to define this inspirational item, we want people to be a part of something greater than themselves. And, and so what I used to do in my business and what I still do to this day is, is I say, hey, listen, when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? And I used to ask every employee that question when they came into the company. And, and we're a mortgage servicing company. I mean, you can see right behind me over my right shoulder, there's a, yeah. there's a pink unicorn. I see that. Right? Why does Darius have a pink unicorn over his right shoulder? Well, the reason being is it was the mascot of my company. My company was a mortgage servicing company. I know I just watched your face get bored when I said that. But it, everyone, I, I swear, I used to watch people's eyes glaze over as I say the word mortgage. Right. Right. Because they would they start thinking about what they wanted to do besides listening to me say that word. And, 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 and guess what? So did every one of my employees. So how do I get someone to come into a boring, lame business that when they were 10 years old, they would have shot themselves how they told them they'd be doing it when they were 30. And, and, and yet get them to become motivated to be a part of something greater than themselves. You got to make it about something different, right? And so what, what did we do is we made it about something greater than themselves. And I believe companies, do, you could have an opportunity to do that with these cultural assets of our mission, vision, values. Once you get that right, then we do the work around alignment, which is what's the strategy to get there? And you can use different systems to do that. But go and back to, to what, what are the executionable things we're doing, right? We got, right. We got to do those things first though, right? And what happens is, is people start focusing on the tactics to do what you're, what you're doing right now. How, well, how, yeah, 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 Darius, shut, shut up. I want to go do it though, right? And I'm like, do what? Like I, I have a bunch of high growth CEOs and they're so busy doing that they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. They're just trying to make money. And I'm like, that'll get you so far, but then you're going to start breaking all the way up. And so my belief is you have to get those two things right. Then we go to the best practices around cadence and tradition. Mm-hmm. We got to get people, we got to make it easy. And so for me, it's really simple. What are you doing around getting shit done? What's your cadence around communication? What's your cadence around execution? What's your cadence around accountability? And then are you attaching these assets to it? In my business, you weren't even allowed to put a rock on the board unless it was attached to a value. Why? Values are the language of accountability. Like we don't do things unless there's a reason we're doing them that align to the bigger picture. And that would go from the most biggest project to the smallest tactic. 
to the smallest task. It doesn't attach to a core value. In our system, we had an accountability system, right? We used, it's called Unicornopolis, which is there's a company out of Toronto called Sensei Labs that has a system called Click. So we use their system. We white label it, we call it a Unicornopolis. You put ta task management system. Every single task was attached to a core value. Why? Language of accountability. So for me, it's there's best practices on daily huddles, weekly cadence around meetings, monthly ha all hands meeting, quarterly strategic, yearly, you know, all those best practices need to be in place. But why are you doing them? That's what I, that, and, and, and it comes to the bottom of the pyramid, mission, vision, values. You got to get it right and you got to make it scale in the organization. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, so what would it look like if someone joined that company? What, what would my first day look like? You know, how, how did I, how did I understand? I, I get it. I was, um, you know, I applied and, and, and people were, were talking about the culture and, and sure it attracted me, but now talk about when I, when I joined, what did it look like? Yeah. I call it the core value journey, right? So I'm going to take two steps back. When you apply to my company, the first thing you read are the core values. Cause we don't even talk about the job in the job ad until after we get to tell you what our core values are. Then you come in and you get interviewed. All we talk about is core values because we only want a core value fit. Then we talk about job responsibilities and actual technical ability. Then if you, then we do reference checks based off those core values. So like the whole way through, they're like core value, core value, core value. They haven't even, they haven't even got offered a job yet. Right. Then they get the offer letter in the offer letters are core values. Then they show up day one. Well, most companies, what they do is they make you fill out your HR paperwork. It's very sterile. Not in my company. We didn't do that. We had a full day of onboarding where we taught them their strengths. We taught them values. We taught them our purpose. Full day. The first 500 employees, I ran those full days. They're no longer larger than 15 people in a group. And it was a full day of giving to the, to the, to the team member about what we are and then learning about themselves. Then oh, they fill out HR paperwork. Okay. Right. Got it. Love it. Um, what, what was the biggest challenge? You know, when you were building this out, what were some of the roadblocks you hit? Well, the roadblocks I hit were the five years of pivoting, right? So for me, I got, when you go to work every day and get a practice and not make money, like that, that was the roadblock was trying to find a product that could scale. Right. Um, for me, as far as, you know, I practiced for a long time and wasn't successful until I was. And, and what I, and I, I don't know if think I, I, I don't think I got there. I, I sidetracked myself a minute, but in 2013, when I started this business, I grew from 30 to 300 employees in 18 months and grew to a $75 million business and had zero growing pains. None. That once the, you had this sorted out, once, once the culture was right. Yeah. I, I had figured out discovery process, like I said, was really straightforward. Design process, I had figured out. Rollout process, I had figured out. I got that was really right. Implementation process, I figured out. And, and the key to all this stuff, and you're like, Darius, you're talking about all these different things. It sounds like so much work. I think the reality is people overcomplicate this stuff. And what I had figured out was I got to make it simple. And there's a word in Japanese that I, I discovered recently that kind of best expresses this, which is the word shibui. And what shibui means is that there's simplicity, excuse me, there's complexity in simplicity. Right. And so for me, it, it, I said, look, when I make it hard for my team to do this stuff, they won't do it. It's just as simple as that. So for me is how do I make it easy for them to do it? How do I weave it into the stuff they're already doing it where it's not extra work? It's just, it's already happening. It just happens naturally and organically. And, and the key is you got to make it really easy. Uh, there's a book called tiny habits by BJ Fogg, where he talks about how do you get people to pick up habits? And, and I think you just, you know, to answer your question, I have to make these habits in the organization. So if I say, Hey, 
Ron, it's the new, new year. Here's 20 new habits to do. Guess what? You're going to do none of them. Yeah. You know, you'll do it and then you'll stop doing it and you'll go back to business as usual. And that's what happens in our company. So my biggest learning was anything I don't make a habit breaks. And so I have to make it one habit at a time. And my rule on institutionalizing habits is using fog system. Fog says, if you want to teach people to floss, have them floss one, one tooth a day. Mm. And not the full mouth, one tooth. Right. If you want someone to eat healthy, bring an apple to work and put it at the end of your desk. And he says, notice I said, don't eat the apple. Just bring it, put it at the end of your desk. So for me, I use that same thought process in the business. I don't sit there and roll out all these big things all at once. I roll out one thing. And right. when I, every time I've not done that, the biggest challenge to answer your question, every time I try to do too much, nothing happens. You're Let's back to Jim it. Collins strategy, essentially, right? Totally. So yeah. that, that, that's, that's, that's been the biggest challenge for me was not, not getting distracted, not trying to do too much. Every time I've tried to get distracted to do too much, the simplicity would go away, the complexity would kick in, and nothing would work. So, 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 so the overview of the book is obviously, obviously the importance, your story, how to create, how to execute. What else does the book walk us through? Yeah. So what I say is the broken process around values that why it hasn't worked until now. And, and you can, there's data on this nine out of 10. If you look at most companies, 90% of employees don't know their company core values. If you or excuse me, 90% of organizations, hundred percent of their employees don't know the core values. Uh, half of the leaders know the core values. And so I, I think what, where the book fills the gap is that the reason that happens is that there's a good discovery process in general. Um, the, the, there is no design process at all. Rollout process is mediocre, implementation process is weak, and there's no measurement for efficacy or optimization. So where, where I landed on this was really great discovery process. That's a well-worn path. Great design process, great rollout process, easy implementation process. That's ongoing nurturing of them. And then the last part is measuring for results. Mm. Like Drucker says, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it, right? So for me, I got obsessive about this and I started using systems for engagement. So I use ENPS and NPS, right? I'm, a, I'm obsessive about it. ENPS is anonymous. I use Q12. Why anonymous? Is, I'm, I, it's an interesting debate because I, I, I'm on the other side and I know I feel like it depends on the company size, what the level of safety is within the organization. I, I hate the anonymous just because I feel like you can't really dig then. And I don't like that. What are your thoughts? Um, so, well, so I do, so I have a trick on anonymous that you might appreciate. Please. It's anonymous. It's, it's anonymous. And at the end, it says, take ownership of your survey. Tell us who you are. And, and that gives them the option if they want to like take ownership of the, of what they're saying. And what I found is about 30% of people will do that. Um, the reason I like anonymous is, is do I really care who's saying it? Or do I really want, what, what I'm doing is I'm looking for themes and I'm looking for, for, for consistency, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for what's coming up consistently throughout the business in different parts of the business. And because and one person saying something sucks doesn't mean it sucks. A group of people saying it sucks means it probably yeah, sucks. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So I want, I want honesty because it, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who's saying it to me. No, I don't care. I care if there's a lot of people saying it, not if one person says it. So, mm -hmm. um, so I use ENPS and NPS. I do Q12. Um, and then, and then I rate, have the company, I have the employees rate the core values on a consistent basis. Are they alive and well in the organization? And so when I did that, what I started realizing, and I quantified it, Q12 is on a five point basis. There's 12 questions. It's Gallup's engagement tool. Um, and I started taking that and I started treating it like, like any other KPI in the organization. And when I did that, I started seeing something really amazing. 
and you're talking about this is a thousand person organization, 13 offices, 27 departments, 150 managers in the company. This is a pretty dynamic company, right? Yeah. I could go in and I'm not the integrator at all. I'm the visionary. I don't know anything about anything, right? But I would pull my this thing I call the full body scan, which I don't have the full thing in the book. I just have pieces of it. But it's the thing that I call a full body scan. And I would go and do it on a quarterly basis. And I would take it and I would start to pull those KPIs and I would cross-reference them. I triangulate them against traditional KPIs. And you want to know what would happen? If there was a 10% drop in, a, in a productivity metrics, I would see yeah. a 10% drop in my engagement data. If right. there was a 10% increase in profitability, I'd see a 10% increase in engagement data. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Right. I would go to my, my, my business partner, the president of the company, and I'm like, hey, do we have an issue with quality assurance department in blah, 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 Michigan? And he's like, uh, yeah, we're investigating one of the managers there. And I said, yeah, I could tell. There, right. And one of the questions I would ask is, are you doing a, has your manager done a one-on-one with you this, this, this month? And I'd say, yeah, like a third of the employees in that department are saying they're not getting their one-on-ones, right? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Engagement data yeah. is down 12 basis points. So my point was, is, is I don't want to just say it's like when we start talking values, what I believe is pe- the, the people departments, the HR departments, and the marketing departments have hijacked the words values and culture, and they've turned them into something that they're not. Culture, what culture is for me is it's a way to get people to show up to create more impact and more value. And I either have a good culture that does a lot of that or I have a bad culture that diminishes from that happening. Right, right. It's yeah, not it about just pizza parties and ball games. That's a joke. For me, it's about creating impact, results, accountability, and kicking people's ass. I love it. Darius, look, I really enjoy this conversation. Where, where do we find you? Where do, where, where do our listeners find your book? Yeah, you could, the book's everywhere. So you could just go online and, and it's in every format, audio, uh, Kindle, paperback, hardback. So you can go to Amazon or wherever. You can go to my website though. Find me on at www.therealdarius.com. Um, you can email me at darius at therealdarius.com. All my socials there. Um, right now I'm working with, you know, I'm doing uh, work with high growth CEOs, helping them scale their business. And for me, you know, growing from startup to nine figure business, I, I've, I've, I've had all the scar tissue to show it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Darius, look, uh, really enjoy the conversation. You obviously love culture. Uh, we're certainly aligned in that, and it's been great to get to know you. And I look forward to being on the, uh, we're speaking uh, together at the Scaling Up Coach Summit coming up. So I look forward to uh, hearing oh, more yeah. content from you then. Hell yeah, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Darius. All right. Take thank care. you. For more information about Darius, please connect with him on LinkedIn or go to therealdarius.com. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or our upcoming book or masterclass, Scaling Culture, go to ConnellyOwens.com. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.